The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us today. My name is Kit Swanson. This is the AP Laboratory. It's the Wednesday edition. You know, we're kind of transitioning, you know, from you know the draft, and now we're kind of we're kind of just in open waters now. We've got a lot of time here uh, during the summer, uh, during you know during the the rest of spring, to kind of just talk about a lot of different things. Um, and there's not a lot of news going on, but we got some stuff worth talking about today. And and here to help me do that, my dear pal, first find him on Twitter at Chief in Carolina, Maddie Lane. Hello, my friend. How are we doing today? Man, I'm doing good. My night went off the rails. Like we all read that fantastic <laughs> Sammy Watkins interview today, and I think we were all, you know, feeling good about getting some new information about football. But then, I mean, just the only person that could derail that f- feeling, the Renaissance man himself, takes to Twitter <laughs> and he just whips out the gasoline tank and just pours it all over Twitter and just ignites it. I mean, with a stick and a, and a stone. Okay, let's be real. He knows how to start a fire. And he just lights Twitter ablaze, <laughs> talking trash to waffles. Let me let me set this straight real quick. The Renaissance man is now known as Justin Reed. Waffles are known as Patrick Mahomes. We know how that story ends. I hate that I have to go third on this because only one of these places has an international establishment the other one just has a regular old house. That should tell you what you need to know. He owns a country. And <laughs> yeah, we are not bringing the There's... food takes in here. I'm going to make some delicious food this weekend and post pictures so that y'all can get off my back about my food takes. <laughs> yeah, I know we've been physically distancing, but I might have to uh I might have to drive to Wichita this this week. Um, am I supposed to let people know that you're from Wichita, Craig? Yeah, like, that's Is that good. a problem? Yeah, I don't know. No, no, no. That's cool. That's cool. Okay. Is it okay if I give out Can your I tell address? What? It's like seven six nine. <laughs> yeah. What's the uh? What, what were those last? What was the last four of those? That social again, by the way, buddy. There's a niner in there. Are you talking on a walkie-talkie? <laughs> okay. Here we go. Let's just move on. Let's just let's just get going. Okay. Over. Um, yeah, we've got a lot of we've got a lot of things to cover, like the meaning of life and existence and the 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 multi dimensions of this world. Because Sammy Watkins uh, had quite the interesting interview uh, this week. Uh, he talked to Ty Dunn of Bleacher Report. Uh, he covered a lot of things. He covered a lot of you know s- some of the things he's experienced over the last couple of years. Um, 
and that was that was interesting. But also, he had a lot of comments about the football side. And if you, I would suggest you read the article if 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 any of you are listening to this and you haven't. Uh, it's very interesting, uh, very illuminating, uh, and it's a very interesting behind the scenes look. So. Um, here's some, here's just some lines and some quotes that I just kind of pulled from the, from the article. And again, I would, I would encourage you to read the full article. He, uh, this is a, a, a statement by Dunn. He will not play third or fourth fiddle on this team anymore. Not that he said a peep about it to the team. Uh, continuing on, he didn't like how the chiefs left him out of so much of their marketing. Either the fact that he wasn't on the marquee next to Patrick Mahomes uh, Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. This is continuing on, moving on a little bit farther. He vows to tell the Chiefs where he stands. He won't take a pay cut. And this is before the this, this interview happened before the renegotiation. He won't take a pay cut, and he needs his 100 targets, 1,000 plus yards, 12 touchdowns this season. Because just like he did before that AFC title game, before the Super Bowl, Watkins knows what's coming next for him. Eight more seasons. Two more Super Bowls, one gold jacket. Book it. Final line. This is a quote from him. I'm praying and hope they do right by me if I go back, he says. If they don't, it's going to be World War III. Seriously. Because I feel I've been doing everything in my power to stay positive, to continue to uplift everybody on the team, to put myself last, to literally always my to literally always put myself last. There is just some interesting quotes from from the uh from the bleacher report article and yeah I'm, I'm pulling out a few here and there i do encourage you again to strongly read or I, I encourage you strongly to read the full article craig um what's your take on these comments <laughs> i mean i think that should tell you exactly where sammy watkins was in his mindset you know maybe in february right after the super bowl that's about when those comments were made he felt like he was a little bit disrespected, that the Chiefs were maybe talking about moving on from him, that fans were talking about moving on from him. He felt he was an integral part of the Chiefs' Super Bowl run because he was. Now, at this point, saying, you know, I'm not going to put myself last again. I need to be force-fed the ball. That reminds you a little bit. I think they even refer to it in the article as, quote-unquote, Bad Sammy, you know, back in Buffalo when he was claiming he needed 10 targets a game, he needed to be force-fed the ball and all of that stuff. That's the type of stuff that this article kind of went over about his mindset in there. Now, that's there. That's underlying. He's a wide receiver, and he's a top wide receiver. You find these guys, they want the ball. That's how they go. That's how they are in this league. But you started to see maybe towards the end of the article that it shifted a little bit. That The narrative shifted. Obviously, he signed a contract that made it incentive-laden, and they refer to it as good Sammy came back there. But I do think it's something to keep an eye on there because you have one of your key members, your key target havers in this offense that thinks that maybe he's not getting fed the ball enough. I mean... Maddie, you are a big Sammy Watkins fan. When you read that, what's your initial reaction? I mean, this whole interview reads like a script from J.J. Abrams trying to write a Star Wars movie. You have like evil dark Sammy, also wow. known as Pancake Sammy, and then you have good in the light Sammy, known as Waffle Sammy. <laughs> and these guys are just going at it, fighting like for the control over how he's going to feel and act on the football field. 
I mean, I think the worrisome thing is he seemed to feel pretty strongly after a high. Like he had a great Super Bowl. The Chiefs won. Like he should be at an all-time high. And it sounds like he was battling with some of those demons that he's talking about throughout the whole interview. And that shouldn't be a time where you're facing against that. Like that shouldn't be a time where you're starting to feel depressed and you're feeling like you have nothing to do other than to go back out there and reprove yourself and be angry with your situation. And it sounds like that's where he was. I think reading between the lines, there's maybe a little bit of tension between Sammy Watkins and some other players, maybe in the receiving room, not just receivers, but just other weapons on the team. Like you saw a very specific mention of Tyreek Hill, of Travis Kelsey being, you know, in the Chiefs media guide, being like the poster boys for the team along by Patrick Mahomes. I just wonder if Sammy Watkins feels a little left out that he's not up there with those guys. Maybe there's maybe that group of people doesn't get along super great. And what happens when Travis Kelsey gets his 10 targets and Tyree Kill gets his 10 targets and Sammy Watkins gets five? Like what happens when that happens a few times in a row like it did last year? Is he going to stay calm, cool and collected? Or is this, you know, pancake evil Sammy going to show and jump out and start lashing out at everybody else? Yeah, and you know, I, I read these comments and I don't think it matters when they were said and what has happened since in some in some regard, honestly. Uh, and the reason I say that is is I think because that sentiment is in there somewhere in Sammy Watkins. And that could rear its ugly head some point in the season. And who's to say it hasn't reared its ugly he- head in spurts um at at some points, you know, here in the last few years. One of the things, you know, Sammy Watkins in this article he talks about is how he was telling people they were going to lose a game. They he knew that they were going to lose. He willed he it. Talked about almost. <laughs> he willed it to lose. It was almost like he wanted it to happen. I'm telling you, you have to read this article. He's, uh, yeah. Uh, there's there's just there's a you know there's it's it's you know very high variance emotions, high variance um you know mentality with Sammy Watkins, um and I think you know the, who what happens when this if this rears its ugly head at some point during the season, I think we're gonna find out. But uh, one thing, you know, I don't know how concerned I am about it entirely because here's the thing. I don't think people realize that this kind of stuff, maybe not everything else about this article, but there are very similar things to this that happen in every single locker room in the National Football League. Like a little bit like this is a peek behind the curtains. I don't think this is just some shocking revelation and something that like every team, every organization in the National Football Game and National Football League is having to navigate these things. They're having to navigate situations like this with more than one player. There is more about players that 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 don't get out. And this is a little bit of a peek behind the curtain. And so sometimes there's more to the story of why a player signed why a player didn't sign why a player only got what they got there's a lot of context that we aren't privy to and we finally we got a little bit of context with sammy and it was very interesting but i think people are really scared about these comments well i think a big yeah. hold up you have with sammy Watkins is he is legitimate wide receiver one talent he can go to another team and be their best wide receiver so he's allowed to feel this way he's allowed to feel like he should be the focal point of an offense now that's not really worked out for him but he should feel that way he can point to these last two playoff runs he can point to his game against Jalen Ramsey and AJ Bouye and be like look I'm beating the best cornerbacks in the league I am this good if you feature me all the time like he has ground to stand on 
And I think that almost makes these kind of feelings more dangerous because there's no way you can really put him in his place, so to speak, if you're on the team. If you're a Tyree Kill or Travis Kelsey, like, yes, you might be a better player, but it's not like Sammy Watkins is just a sidekick to you in terms of talent. He's just as good, talented as you are. He just struggles to put it all together. Now, my biggest qualm I have is when Sammy Watkins kind of jogs out of bounds when the, uh, I think we saw a few more times last year where Sammy Watkins just kind of jogged the end of his route, pulled up and kind of skipped out of bounds and checked himself out of the next play on the field. Things like that start to pop up a little bit more in my mind. Now, how many times I saw Mahomes whip a last second pass to him on the sideline that Sammy Watkins wasn't ready for things like that. Just start to poke up a little bit more to me now and just wonder how dedicated was he on that particular play that he wasn't read one or read two. It's things to think about now. Yeah, that's for sure. And it brings a lot of the dynamic on the team to light. And like Kent said, you know, the, these guys are always... You You guys think that Allen Robinson is happy right now? You think that he's a model teammate right <laughs> now with his target share and the quality of target that he's getting in Chicago? No, he's not. And he's not necessarily a guy that's, you know, a hugely outspoken dude. But you know that he's blowing up stuff like that. Now... The thing that we haven't talked about here, about this Sammy interview, we have been calling Uh-oh. Sammy Watkins the Lizard King for two years now because he yep. called himself a solar-powered reptilian being and everybody kind of took it up there and went, yeah, Sammy's a weird dude. I don't think any of you understood <laughs> how weird Sammy Watkins is. And it's it, it, weird is obviously, you know, just an opinion here. It's not that big of a deal that Sammy Watkins thinks the things that he thinks. But my man has some non-traditional beliefs for sure. <laughs> and he dragged Felton Davis into this thing. Who <laughs> Felton no, no, Davis. No, no. He teleported stro- him there. He teleported Felton Davis. Teleported him there. Strong believer in teleportation. (laughs) Sammy Watkins believes that his spirit leaves his body and goes into other players to make plays on the team. Like this is he thought he thought his spirit scored a touchdown when it wasn't him. Yeah, yeah, because he thought his. I mean, I'm telling you, you've got to read the article. You have to read the article. Sammy Watkins. He listen. This man, and I, I think that this is why Sammy Watkins enjoys being in Kansas City. He, nobody's going to bother him about this. Andy Reid's not bothering him about it. He talked about it. He talked about how Andy Reid calls him Starship 14. Like, he, Andy Reid's part of the bit. Like, he's in on it. He's fully on board with the weirdness of Sammy Watkins, with his beliefs and the things that he believes. And frankly, that's why you don't need to be fully worried about Sammy Watkins this upcoming season because he respects Patrick Mahomes, because he respects Andy Reid, and those guys know how to corral it. Those guys know how to bring him back, kind of recenter him and get him on the right page. I, I'm just going to be paying, like Maddie said there, a little bit more attention to some of the body language throughout the year this year. No, no doubt. And Maddie, the same kind of thing has crept up to me too. I was, you know, and like he he dropped off and just disappeared for portions of the season this year, and that's been something that's happened, and I think there's a correlation to probably some attitude and some motivation and all that kind of stuff. But that's the case for a lot of players. That's why it's like that's what I like. That's what I was saying. Like, what Andy Reid does is hard. <laughs> like, it, being a head coach is not just sitting there with the pat plays and the index cards and dialing up all kinds of sick stuff. 
and all that stuff, you are literally managing the morale, the attitudes of 60 players. And some players you have to manage a little bit more because some players you're paying $16 million a year too. I mean, he doesn't have to, he doesn't have to manage, you know, if Felton Davis, like Felton Davis didn't play last year or didn't practice last year, but if Felton Davis isn't cutting his cut, doing his job, then they can cut him. Sammy Watkins. No, you've got, they got to manage and navigate that. Why would you and cut a guy that can Chiefs, teleport think, though? Because I mean, clearly that seems like an advantage for your offense. You know, I what I'm what I'm looking for is if they can find a way to utilize that within the scheme. You know, that would be massive. The teleportation Pers- scheme. Like I just <laughs> Yes. Yes. Now if they can find a way, you know, uh shift to Star Trek right. Um <laughs> Maybe that's why he um, had so much so anyways. with the spin. In, uh, on the goal line because he was trying really hard not to teleport. He had to like actually spin right. and not just phase. Yeah, I get it. That makes sense. Yeah, because part of it. Yeah, it makes complete sense. Actually, maybe. Never mind. I'm not putting a tinfoil hat on. Um, but um, I and one of the things also you need to think about with all this. I think the fact that he's back, the fact that he restructured a deal despite those frustrations, says something about him too. I think. I think there is, and maybe part of it is because he actually believes that all those statistics are happening in his contract, which I find very well, interesting. That's the tricky part now, though, is he now to make his money has to hit these numbers. Like this is no longer these are numbers he wants to hit. He has to hit them to make his money now. Now, at no point in time does he talk about money being super important to him. So maybe the actual monetary value doesn't matter. It's just like he now has to hit these numbers he's mentioning to get paid the same amount that he was going to get before. I think that's just worth noting if he's not on track to do so. Yeah, it's <laughs> this whole thing is I, it was it was a very I'm I'm appreciative of the opportunity to talk about this. Like, thank you, Ty Dunn, for giving us something Fantastic to discuss. Fantastic job, uh, Ty Dunn. Fantastic job getting that story. It's a great article. By the way, just so you know, Sammy Watkins had 90 targets last year. So 100 targets isn't that ridiculous. Now the yardage. Yeah, well. The, <laughs> that, that might be – you have to step your game up. Also, what is the rest uh, of the national media world doing that we hadn't heard like the pre-Los Angeles Rams Sammy Watkins story? Like how have we not heard about everybody in his past – dying and his crazy partying like how has this stuff just not been public to the national world up until this point like it seems like there was a whole young sammy Watkins career that should have been all over espn like odell beckham's life has been or so many other receivers like how did that just never show up before that's wild to me yeah a redemption story leading up to the super bowl seems like easy money for somebody there i mean i'm i'm maybe yeah. maybe Maybe Sammy didn't want that story maybe. told. Maybe maybe the second version of Sammy didn't want because he he said he said he has two he's two versions of Sammy right. Mm-hmm. He did. I'm not misquoting that right. No. Okay. So ver- Sam one and Sam two. Sam two was like, nah, let's not do this. No, let's man. wait a little but bit. But that doesn't I can't stop wait. somebody that's else from picking it, it up. That's what I mean. Like, just how has nobody picked this up? Like that that just blows my mind. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, maybe Sammy just didn't want that story out. Now he does. I'm just really looking He's forward to uh, when he makes a great play. Hey, that was Sam 1. And when he doesn't, hey, that was oh, Sam Lord. 2. All year long. Oh, no. 
I really hope people don't blow this up too much. I got honestly, like, I hope they just let him play. I really do, because like I, I think that's what Sammy Watkins wants. Is I don't, I don't know how much he really wants everybody. You know, I don't know. Okay, we're gonna take a break, and we're gonna do something that we're gonna do the next, you know, seven weeks or so. Uh, kind of looking at the raw, at the schedule, and kind of looking at the teams that the Chiefs will be playing uh, a little bit. Put them under the microscope a little bit. We'll be doing that right after this. Okay, we are introducing a new segment. We're gonna be doing it on uh, Wednesdays. We're gonna look at a couple teams. Uh, we're gonna go through the entire schedule, um, and we're gonna just kind of put each team under the microscope a little bit, nothing super in depth, but just kind of give you an idea of some of the things that we noticed about this football team and their off season, all that stuff. So we're going to start with week one, the Houston Bill O'Briens. And the, we're going to ask four questions about this football team. What's the quality of their roster, Craig? Not great. <laughs> it got a lot worse this off season. Frankly, Bill O'Brien is apparently trying to make life as difficult as he can on Deshaun Watson and himself to try and make this a functional football team in a bad division. Like, they should be able to win this division still. They're just making some very poor choices here. I don't like a lot of this roster. They still have some studs on it, obviously. Deshaun Watson's good. J.J. Watt is good. You know, they, they've got some very good players on here, but frankly, every year that we look at this roster, it gets older and it gets worse. The guys that they bring in just aren't up to the quality of a guy like my guy, Brennan Scarlett, who is a clear superstar <laughs> on this team. Yeah, this The roster is very interesting because it's, like Craig said, it's pretty similar to the same roster it's been for the last couple of years. Just everyone's a little bit older, a little bit more banged up. They bring in some new guys here. They're like Bradley Roby is now there again, which is a good move for them. They brought in a couple new guys. You know, Gary on Conley last year during the season, they declined his option going forward. So they don't love him. They obviously turned over the wide receiver room quite a bit. So like they added some new parts, but overall it's the same general roster that's always been with an average offensive line for a quarterback who I think operates the best when he has good protection. Sean Watson is, he's a ball holder. He will hold the ball way too long. And if you don't give him good protection, it can come back and haunt them. So I think improving their offensive line would have been the obvious move for them, but they just instead decided to kind of turn over the wide receiver room on offense and then add David Johnson. That's about their only major acquisitions they had going on. I don't like it for um, Deshaun Watson that they got rid of the safety blanket of New Hopkins. And obviously there was some pettiness from Bill O'Brien that allowed that to happen. Um, but I find that very interesting. And I think that's really going to be hard to replace because they didn't replace him directly. And I don't think they're playing the, to Deshaun Watson's strengths with the receivers they have. But you know, we'll, we'll see. Uh, okay, quality of the staff. The, the, the coaching staff uh, for the Houston Texans, Maddie. I, okay, so Bill O'Brien as an offensive mind, I don't hate. I don't think he's great, but I think he can do some decent stuff as an offensive mind. So him just singularly as a head coach is mediocre because he makes some bad decisions, some game management decisions. But as an offensive mind, he can get the offense humming a little bit. He can do some nice things. The problem is Bill O'Brien has control over everything else, and he's really bad at the everything else aspect of football. 
And so, like, and they, I don't like Tim Kelly or Anthony Weaver to stand up to them, to hold their own, to be guys that can really set the offense with Kelly or the defense with Weaver up for success without strong leadership, which just simply isn't coming from Bill O'Brien. Yeah, uh, Romeo Cornell's still there as an associate head coach. They still have a lot of two-gapping schemes. That, that defense has kind of gone the way of the dodo a little bit. Uh, it worked in the early 2000s, especially with Bill O'Brien there. And there are still elements that work for other teams, but it just is a little bit slow. It's not as dynamic as you see some of these other more exotic defensives look. You don't see you know, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs offense really getting frustrated for an entire game, let alone an entire, you know, like half. You saw that in this in the playoff game there that they figured it out. They were able to dial it up. They basically had it from the get-go just with some drops, and they were able to kind of punish it. I don't like that they didn't really add a whole lot on the coaching staff for this team here. They just kind of decided to run it back with this group, didn't really try and add a bunch of pieces. I don't think that with the player additions and the lack of coaching additions that they're going to be that much better. They don't really have a leg up here in any way. Yeah, I I I kind of echo Maddie's sentiment. I don't hate Bill O'Brien the play caller, honestly. Like his opening script against the Chiefs was pretty good uh, in the playoff game. Um, I think the thing is, is he's too close to everything, you know. And I think some of those guys that have a little bit too much power with some of their with some of their you know personnel moves, like a you know like Shanahan. Like a like a McVeigh, I think Bill O'Brien kind of falls in that. Like they they they're a little bit too close to everything, and they they from a talent evaluation perspective, I think they just miss the mark a lot of times. There's not as much projection in some of the guys that they wind up taking and all that stuff, uh, specifically for their offense. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, Bill O'Brien's good enough to get your team to the playoffs, and that's about it. Uh, okay, new addition. For the Houston Texans, Craig, give me a new addition that you like. I actually like John Reed, my guy, that they got in the fourth round there. I think he's got a chance to actually come in and compete for a cornerback spot. They have a lot of guys. They have Gary and Conley, they have Bradley Roby, and they have Vernon Hargreaves. Now, all of those guys basically are not long-term solutions there. I think Reed could be one of those guys that steps in and some of their dime packages, some of their nickel packages, and offers a little bit to that team. I think that they're going to get a decent amount out of a fourth-round pick there, and I think he can help be a little bit of a tone changer on that defense, add a little bit of edge, add a little bit of intelligence to that secondary. I'm really looking forward to see if they can use him a little bit more because I really loved him in the draft process. For me, it's Eddie Vanderdose, who is a still a young player. I think he would still be on his rookie deal technically, but he was cut. He was out of UCLA. He's a defensive tackle. He's now taking over DJ Reader's role as the nose tackle. And I know Craig talked about it earlier with their two-gapping system still being there. I wonder if it's going by the wayside, though. Eddie Vanderdose is not a two-gapper, nor is first round or second – no, first round, second round draft pick at Ross Blacklock. I don't even remember where they took him. I think it was the second round because they traded their first second round. round yeah. Yes, continuing on. But neither one of those guys are two-gapping players. They're penetrating gap shooters. Like, 
who's going to play the nose tackle role when you're trying to two gap for this team right now? Cause nobody on the roster set up to do it. Are they going to have a defensive scheme change to fit these new bodies? Are they going to ask one of these guys to do it? JJ Watts, probably the best at it. And you're not going to waste him by putting him at defensive tackle or a nose tackle spot. So I'm just, I'm interested to see how they go about changing their scheme to fit some of these new guys, because I think DJ reader was a lot more important to them. I just don't think Blacklock or Vanderdose can replicate that. Uh, for me, it's Jonathan Greenard. Uh, I think he went in the third round to them. Uh, he he's gonna probably, I'm assuming, probably play as a as a stand up, as an outside linebacker. Uh, for their in their scheme, he didn't test great, but he looks a lot better as as a mover on the film than he does as an athletic tester. And I thought his tape was pretty good. I think we had him in the top sixty in the KC draft guide. He just didn't test great. But um, I think he's a little bit flexible off the edge. I think he's got a pretty good first step. Um, you know, he had uh, some semblance of a pastures plan. I think there's more to work with than people look when they look at this athletic profile. So he's a guy definitely to keep an eye on. Uh, and uh, I really like him. I think he's got a chance to actually be a pretty good, pretty good addition. All right, players to watch. I'm kicking us off, I guess, on this one. I am going to go with David Johnson. The running back out of uh, that was with the Arizona Cardinals. Cardinals was part of the DeAndre Hopkins trade, um, and you know, boy, watching him last year was sad in a lot of respects because most of the time he didn't look like the same guy uh, that we saw a few years ago. But I still think there's a lot to be interested in with him because I think his ability as a pass catcher, if he can reclaim some of that, if he can reclaim some of the athleticism. Um, he's still, I, I still think there's a lot, you know, there, there's a potential for him to have a lot of a good football left in him. Uh, I think he's, you know, especially out of, out of, as a pass catcher out of the backfield, I think he's just a unique player, uh, when he's fully healthy. So let's see if he can continue, uh, to, to, con to make that comeback. Yeah. My player to watch is clearly the best player on their team. And if he didn't have a shoulder injury last year, he would have oh, been no. a, no, no, sorry. No, it's not Justin Reed. I'm not going to talk about Justin Reed. My player to watch is Titus Howard. Titus Howard was their first round pick last year. Uh, like Maddie said, we know Deshaun Watson loves to hold the ball a little bit longer. He needs time for some of these things to develop downfield, and especially with a wide receiver crew that may not have the ability to get open or you know haul something in if they are covered in the way that DeAndre Hopkins could. I think that he needs more time there. Titus Howard got injured last year, didn't get the reps that he needed. If he comes out and he looks good between Tunsil and Howard, they might have a really good offensive line, especially on the bookends there. They can get some stuff out of the interior of their offensive line as well. If they can protect Deshaun Watson, then I think that maybe they can have a more functional offense than we're predicting them to at this point. Man, I feel like you guys really backed me into a corner here because we've made it all the way through this Texans roster and we haven't talked about Eric Murray yet. So I feel like I have to talk about that <laughs> he is their starting paid very handsomely strong safety, which is going to be the guy probably covering Travis Kelsey a lot when the Chiefs play them. So like, that's a matchup to watch, clearly. But I think the player to watch me is just their entire wide receiver group. I agree that losing Duke Hopkins is a terrible idea, but when you add Randall Cobb and Brandon Cooks to Will Fuller, Kenny Stills, like when these guys are healthy, that's a fair amount of speed. It's an interesting wide receiver group that I just think could pose a specific kind of problem. If you're a team that gets beat deep vertically, if you're a secondary that struggles with speed, 
this is a wide receiver group that really could take advantage of you just with the amount of fast guys they have and they can put on the field at once. I don't think they're particularly overall super talented. I just think they pose a very specific threat to teams that struggle to defend the deep ball. All right, let's move on to week two, and let's talk about the Los Angeles Chargers. I believe the Chiefs are the first team to play at SoFi Stadium against the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, lower bowl tickets are like 120 bucks if you really want to do that. Um, but let's talk about the quality of the roster, Craig. Yeah, for the 10th year in a row, the Los Angeles Chargers have won the offseason, you guys. Absolutely won it <laughs> on paper. They've got the best roster in the NFL. They are going to be ridiculously hard to stop. They've got a lot of talent, guys. We we know this. We've seen it twice a year, every year for the past several years here. They added Kenneth Murray. He's going to probably play Mike for them. He's going to look good. They got Justin Herbert as well. I, I like a lot of the moves that they made this year, and they retained a lot of their dynamic players, and then they didn't pay Melvin Gordon. Going to give Austin Eckler the rock a little bit more. I love that move, coupled with Josh Kelly as well. Like, There's just a lot of really good players on this roster. This is one of the better rosters in the NFL. Yes, I know it's easy to clown on them because everybody anoints them at this point of the year, but it really does look really good. For me, I'm actually a little bit more hesitant than Craig is on this. I see some pretty glaring holes. Like just at wide receiver after the first two, the Chargers have gone for a team with all these, you know, good arsenal of depth players at wide receiver. And now it's just a bunch of young guys fighting for a wide receiver three because they have nobody else. Their offensive line maybe is a little improved, but I mean, they're still going to start Dan Feeney, Mike Pouncey, and maybe Sam Tevy or Trey Pipkins. Like, that's that does not instill confidence in me. I think Austin Eckler's riding a hot streak right now, but what is going to happen is teams get a little bit more film on him. It's no longer Philip Rivers Chargers. Is he still going to be the same caliber of running back? I can't really poke holes in the defense the way I am the offense. Like I, the defense does look pretty good. I do think Kenneth Murray was, is going to struggle for them a little bit. Like I think he is going to be put into some situations that it's going to be very difficult for him for him excel. But his athleticism, along with the rest of these guys on this team, is just going to look good. So I guess the offensive side of their roster just does not scare me whatsoever. And while the defense is good, I just don't think there's enough firepower on offense all the way through to keep up with the top teams in the AFC. Yeah, you might be you might be seeing a Sam Tevy start at left tackle. Like there is no very there's no obvious answer whatsoever at the tackle position. And I mean, is Trey Pipkins going to play out there? Left tackle? Man, I, I loved it when both of those guys played last year, for what it's worth. I mean, yeah. I mean, like, things did not I greatly well. enjoy like, Dan this is a great every year in the NFL, too. Yeah, I mean, he's yeah he's been kind of a disappointment. Is Forrest Lamp going to be healthy for the first time ever? Like, there's a lot of questions at key positions on the offensive side of the football. Their back seven, uh, you could argue, is the best back seven in the National Football League, really specifically the corners and the safeties. Um, I mean that they're secondary if we want to just limit to that, but like they basically play, <laughs> play a lot of safeties, you know, they, they typically play a lot of safeties anyway. So, um, but I really, yeah, I think there's some serious questions on the, uh, on the offensive side of the football, but they do. I mean, I do think they have some, like they're, they've got a lot on defense that you like, uh, quality of the staff, Maddie. I think Gus Bradley has been like the only Seattle 
coach, defensive coach that has come out and like shown growth in his ability to coach a defense. Like you've seen him change it up, especially when you're playing the Chiefs. He does not run out the same basic cover three that all the other Seattle coaches do. Pour one out for Chris Richard in Dallas and whatever he's got going on down there. Like Gus Bradley does a really good job. He's got a talented defense, but he really does make it work. And I like that. Anthony Lindemy is still up in the air. I like some of the leadership he shows. Like, I think he is a strong leader. I just don't know about his ability as an X's and O's or a, like, you know, play caller of any kind or what he adds to an offense or defense, which is fine. You can survive in the NFL as a head coach that way. So I think you get good leadership, a good defensive coach. Like, I think it's a solid staff, just not a great one that elevates them above anybody else. Conversely, I, I really like Anthony Lynn. And I like what he does. I think Phillip Rivers shot this offense in the foot for the past several years. I, I really do. The reads were there. The players were open. Phillip Rivers threw way too many interceptions against the Chiefs. Way, way, way too many interceptions. Now, that's not saying that Tyrod Taylor and Justin Herbert are just going to come out and light it up there or any reason. But I do think that if they have somebody that's maybe a little more structured, maybe isn't trying to, you know, throw into the same sort of coverages, maybe a little more timid, maybe even than Phillip Rivers was, you may see the offense look a little better, at least maybe a little more consistent with the turnovers and everything like that. I'm interested to see what Anthony Lynn looks like this season. I just, I know he's constantly on the chopping block because this roster underperforms a lot, but and now that he's not with Philip Rivers anymore, I think that this is one of the more intriguing head coaching jobs that's left in the NFL here. I kind of wonder if we see Anthony Lynn's uh, fingerprints kind of on the uh, the Chargers offense a little bit more than we have in the past. And we I know we only got to see one year of him as a play caller, um, but I'm just a little bit – and I don't even know if we got to see a full year. I think he might have just been – like offensive coordinator during the like as an interim like he he was interim head coach and offensive coordinator I think he was just for like partial season but I think you're going to see a little bit more of his influence his play style what he wants um you know in this in this version and I think you kind of see that with some of his opinions about Tyrod Taylor and his belief in Tyrod Taylor I think you're what you're seeing that is maybe you know he has a vision for how he wants this thing to go and you're getting a little bit of that with some of his what, some of his comments about how much he likes Tyrod Taylor as a player. Um, I'm very curious to see because I do think Anthony Lynn, uh, to your point, Craig, has more. I don't want to say pull, but like he he's able to kind of control the situation a little bit more because he doesn't have you know someone that's been in this organization for so long like like Philip Rivers and uh, yeah I I I really like the staff honestly. Uh, I think, you know, I, I, I like Gus Bradley. I think Gus Bradley at least like he at least makes it hard on the Chiefs. He takes away their he takes away what they what they do best. The games are close. Um, yeah. Gus Bradley keeps close. it close. Yeah. And, and it doesn't always look like it on the scoreboard, but I think I they give them fits and they make them earn everything. Uh, all right, new additions. Uh Craig, new addition, give me one. I am gonna go with Chris Harris Jr. The Chiefs still get to see him twice a year. He knows what it's like to play against Kansas City. It's just now he's got you know another cornerback opposite him that he hasn't had since Aqib Talib left, basically there. So I really like what they've got. Like 
like Kent said there in the back seven there, I think Chris Harris Jr. might have his best year in a little while here. Now, he still can't run with Tyreek Hill. We know this, but I do think that he's going to get a little more help than maybe he did in Denver. I think I have to start with Trey Turner, who they traded their left tackle for Russell Okung, I believe it was, for Trey Turner. Somebody can correct me if it wasn't Okung, but they traded him for Trey Turner. They get a right guard, a very solid, very good right guard coming from Carolina. He steps in there. Hopefully that kind of helps their interior offensive line. It was an odd move to me to not replace that left tackle position in a role with Santevi or Trey Pipkins, but maybe one of those guys come out and surprise us. I just think what you get a guy like Trey Turner is what you do is you lock down one of those interior spots. You give a little bit more continuity. You maybe get a nice solid middle of the offensive line. You hope that holds up and works better for a guy like Tyrod Taylor, who does not like to be pressed and rushed into plays. If you give him just a couple more seconds, the ability to step up in the pocket, he is very good at finding his check down. All right. How about Kenneth Murray? I mean, my goodness, they the, they aggressively go up and, and grab Kenneth Murray, um, you know, in the first round and just continue to build that back seven. They continue to get extremely athletic. And it's this is all the I mean, their defense is I mean, it's really solid. They got two solid edge players. They got Kenneth Murray. Um, they've got a really solid secondary like they are getting. They've gotten extremely athletic on the back seven. Um, I think. This actually is a really good situation for Kenneth Murray to thrive because they do have a lot of players that are versatile that can cover. So maybe they can like let you know kind of ease him in a little bit in some regard in that space. But you know a sideline to sideline player um, that that apparently blew you know blew the doors off of, of interviews and all that. Um, boy, I I really like that addition for them. Uh, be fat and surprised they didn't go tackle though. Honestly, I'm surprised they didn't go tackle in the first round after trading up. Okay, players to watch. Uh, I'm gonna go with Justin Herbert. I'm kind of curious to watch how this whole thing is gonna unfold for him. What it looks like. I don't think you're seeing Justin Herbert in week two. You might see him the second time around, but I don't think you're gonna see Justin Herbert in week two of the season. I think there's just too much for him to try to, um, you know, try to overcome to to get that opportunity and I do believe Anthony Lynn really likes Tyrod Taylor so um you know but I do think it's kind of just going to be interesting to see his development over the season and that's why I'm really watching because it may not necessarily be about 2020 but taking a big swing on a quarterback is your attempt to try to hang with Patrick LeVon Mahomes and I'm always going to be fascinated to see these teams trying to take their swing to try to you know try to hang with the big boys We'll get to Denver at some point. That'll be fun. But Justin Herbert's my guy. I'm going with Keenan Allen. I want to see what Keenan Allen looks like if Phillip Rivers isn't throwing him the ball. If he's not getting force-fed, is he going to be happy? We talked about Sammy Watkins at the front of this show here and maybe some of the disappointment of not getting force-fed. Tyrod Taylor and Justin Herbert may still try and give him the ball a little bit, but are we going to see the same level of force feeding that we saw with, you know, Keenan Allen in previous years there. Now, he's obviously the best receiving weapon that they have. He's an elite receiver, but is he going to get dissatisfied if they are trying to cycle through several quarterbacks, if they're just not performing at the level that they need to on offense? I'm going to be paying especially close attention to how Keenan Allen handles this season because, frankly, he's not ever been on an offense that has underperformed this way 
you know, that they could here if, you know, these wide receivers, or these not wide receivers, these quarterbacks don't play up to snuff. Funnily enough, I was planning on going with Mike Williams for the exact same concepts. I think Mike Williams is the kind of wide receiver that Phillip Rivers throws to. He's blanketed. Phillip Rivers doesn't care. He's going to throw it up for him to get him. Tyrod Taylor will avoid that like the plague. If you can't get open, Tyrod Taylor is not throwing you the ball. I think there's a good chance who Mike Williams, who they just picked up the fifth year extension or the fifth year option on, could be in for a very big step back if Tyrod Taylor's always out there just because he does not like to throw to covered players. Mike Williams isn't an elite athlete. And I'm going to throw another quick one out there. Drew Tranquil, coverage linebacker for a team that has a bunch of non-good coverage players. He's a guy to keep an eye on. I think he showed pretty good last year as a rookie in terms of his coverage ability. So now you're playing behind Malik Jefferson, Denzel Perryman, Nick Vigil, Kenneth Murray, Uchina and Wosu. Like none of those guys can cover half as good as him. He's a very good coverage linebacker. I think he's going to see a lot more snaps than people think, even that's a pretty stacked linebacker group. All right, that is going to do it for the Wednesday episode of the AP Laboratory. Make sure to check out the AP Editor's Show tomorrow at 11 a.m. We will be back next week with the mailbag on Monday. Catch you later. Pancakes?